Welcome to episode 182 of the Derek Diamond Experience podcast. And coming up on today's show, you'll be hearing my conversation with the Vice Chairman Emeritus of Waffle House, Mr. Burt Thornton. And we talk about his football career at Georgia Tech growing up in Tampa, why he transitioned from working in IT to his amazing career he's had at Waffle House, his book, Find an Old Gorilla, and so much more. It was great getting to know Bert, and I hope you guys really enjoy this episode. But first, let me tell you about our proud sponsor, Audible. This week's episode of the Derek Diamond Experience is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash nerdcave. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. You're listening to the Nerd Cave Network. Derek, Derek, Derek. Diamond, Diamond, Diamond. Experience! Sitting here with my very special guest this week, the Vice Chairman Emeritus of Waffle House, Mr. Burt Thornton. How are you today, sir? Derek, I'm great, and it's a pleasure to be here with you. Well, I appreciate you know you taking the time as you drove what like two hours or so to get here. You know, it's actually a uh, about a 20 minute trip, but this morning, for some reason, during spring break. Um, Everybody in the world was on the roads. It was three cycles through every light, so it took me about uh, 45 minutes. That's that's crazy. I had no idea that traffic would be like that around that area. But um, again, you know, thank you for taking the time to do this. Um, you know, I I was telling you before we started. You know, I I was at Entrecon when you you spoke. I think on day two, and just sitting there listening to your story and you you know going through your speech. I thought to myself, he would be a really good guy to have on my show. So, uh, <laughs> you're, you're very kind. That's I did nice want to start off uh, by asking a little bit about yourself. Uh, where are you from originally? Well, I was born in New Orleans, but um, spent a year there at the time, so obviously don't remember much about it, but we go back every chance we get. My, my uh, father was actually in the service, and for some reason he was in New Orleans at that particular time. But I was raised in Tampa, Florida, um, spent, uh, went to Robinson High School in, in uh, South Tampa, lived in the Ballast Point area, and uh, went to Georgia Tech, of course, and uh, actually spent the first part of my career with Waffle House in Atlanta. We were there about 25 years. Um, I spent about seven years in Dallas, actually a little town called Grapevine, Texas. Two years in Dallas, seven years in Grapevine, which is a little town between Dallas and Fort Worth. Um, a couple of years in um, Columbia, South Carolina, cleaning up some uh, things that we had going on there. And then on into Atlanta, where I spent the bulk of my career. So you've done quite a bit of traveling in your time. I have. Kathy and I, my wife Kathy and I, actually moved 14 times in the, in 15 years wow early in our Waffle House career but it wasn't uh, as bad as it sounded whenever we got to a uh, and I advise this to anybody who um, moves on a business basis when we got to a new town we would always rent an apartment mm -hmm. in what we thought were uh, was the place that we would like to end up 
and that just gave us a feel for the culture, gave us a feel for uh, the community, uh, and that let us know if that was the right place for us to be. Later on with children, it was, it was critically important because of the school uh, situation. But we would, we would live in an apartment, and then six months later we would um, you know, move into a house. Right. And so, um, and we did that every time. So I guess we actually moved about seven times, seven cities. But seven cities is a lot in 15 years. Mm-hmm. Now, was the constant moving because you were having to look after different different Waffle Houses in the area? What yes, was the reason it, for the constant move? Exactly. I, um, and a little bit of history on how I got started in Waffle House. Uh, I said I went to Georgia Tech. And a fraternity brother of mine, uh, Joe Rogers, uh, Jr., his father, Joe Rogers, Sr., uh, and we all called him Pop. Regretfully, he passed away last year. But um, Pop started Waffle House, and I was uh, working with NCR in their IT division uh, as a systems analyst and a salesman. And I, and I loved the business, loved the computer business, but didn't like the big corporate hassle. And incredibly uh, great time timing is everything I got a call um, from a fraternity brother of mine said do you remember Joe Rogers and I said sure he's fraternity brother and he said well did you remember that his father started Waffle House and I said yeah I mean I've I've actually never been in a Waffle House but uh, I've been to Joe's house several times and he said well a, a bunch of us are getting into that business and we're trying to take the seat of the pants entrepreneurial effort to a new level uh, and why don't you come on up and talk to us and so I flew up to Atlanta and, and the next thing I knew I was uh, um, flipping eggs and turning hamburgers. I was curious as to how like you transitioned from IT to going into Waffle House because that's a that's a big you know career change. Yeah I you know I was just um, I love the computer business, and, and you got to understand, when I was in the computer business, it's different than what it was today. Right. The largest computer that I ever sold, and we never sold them. We only leased them because they were way too expensive. Mm-hmm. But the, the memory on the largest computer I was ever involved with uh, was 512K. Wow. Yeah. No, no, no <laughs> megs, no gigs. It was all uh, K. So, But I really love the computer business, but when uh, – um, you know, I got the call, I, I went up there and I fell in love with the Waffle House business, which is basically about people. You just take care of people on both sides of the counter. Plus it's a lot of fun to cook, mm-hmm. you know, to flip eggs and turn hamburgers. And, uh, I just found a business that I fell in love with. And I started, I, th- I think where we were going with this conversation was how, how did I slide around to so many different mm-hmm. places in the country uh, and the answer is that that every time that Joe found um, a situation that needed fixing you know I, I went to fix it um, he ended up I ended up being president he ended up being chairman but uh, it wasn't because of our uh, fraternity association because we had a lot of fraternity brothers that actually got into the business mm-hmm. uh, at the same time ATO Alpha Tau Omega um, and, and most of those guys sort of went by the wayside. There were only really a couple of us that, that hung in, uh, for the duration, a guy named Charles Ammons, who ended up being a senior vice president. But the end of the story is it's, it's just, 
it's it's kind of like the business you guys are in here at at the stadium. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's just so much magic in being involved with a lot of people having a great time focused on something that's really fun. Mm-hmm. I will say it is fascinating. You, you know, you kind of going back to you, you know, cooking eggs and flipping burgers. It's I can't think of too many restaurants where you can actually go sit at the bar or even at a booth and you can actually watch your food get made. It's really a fascinating process to watch. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's the magic. That's the magic. When you're sitting there in a booth and you're hearing those orders, you know, flying around the um, quarter cheese plates, Scottish mother cover chunk, dice top, pepper cap and country, and the jukebox is playing raisins in my toast and... You know, it's just, and you're watching this this show, it's almost like a Broadway production. And I'll tell you what, is as coordinated as it looks behind that counter, if you don't know what you're doing, if, if, when we take somebody and put them behind the counter and they're brand new, mm-hmm. we give them a place to stand. Mm-hmm. Because that's everybody knows where they are and they won't bump into them. If they're moving around, they don't have a feel for what's going on. And if you work behind the counter, you can I can look at you, Derek, and and just by your body language know where you're what you're doing and where you're fixing to go. But new people get kind of lost. It's like being in the middle of the Bolshoi ballet and you miss the dress rehearsal, you know. So, mm-hmm. but it's it's just it's just magic. It's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and I could compare that to you know what we do over in our production room that you saw a minute ago is that everyone has a specific job that they're supposed to do. So if people, if people come to visit, they just kind of stand back and watch what everyone's doing because, you know, the sound guy might be communicating with the PA, the director might be communicating with the graphics person and so on and so forth. So right. It's, Teamwork. Yeah, it, it's, it's Teamwork's really... Teamwork's critical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's like the cogs in the machine mentality that I use a lot. So that it, it's, like I said, it's really fascinating to watch. I think about that every time i go into a waffle house i'm always just like how do you guys do that you need to you need to come with me on a saturday morning and we'll put you on the waffle bakers and toasters and let you and let you experience it firsthand i don't know about that they might shut it down on my account no you know i have i have friends and business associates that have asked me that they've said uh one guy who was the president of cns bank in atlanta um said i'd really like to do that and i said well we'll come on and so he showed up on a saturday morning at number 194 we number when we build them number mm-hmm. 194 in lawrenceville georgia and uh, uh and actually i guess they thought it was going to be a big deal because they brought all the cns photographers you know and we got him back there and the first thing i did was teach him how to wash dishes and dry silverware and make coffee so that was the default that was the fallback if he got in the way where you know everybody know what, what yeah. he was doing there and um but we did we put him we put him on the waffle bakers and the toasters and um he he actually did a pretty good job uh after about 45 minutes he said i think i've had enough now thank you very much <laughs> uh well i'll i'll keep it in mind and i, I will let you know but um Kind of going back to, to college, uh, you actually, you attended Georgia Tech on a football scholarship, correct? I did. Uh, I what did. position did you play in football? Uh, I played left guard. Mm-hmm. Um, in high school, I went both ways. I was uh, a left guard offensively and a, a left defensive tackle. Um, but when I got to college, it was a little more um, specific. You, you didn't go both ways, and they still don't. I mean, mm-hmm. it's almost like 
the medical profession. You know, you don't have a doctor that does everything. These yeah. orthopedic guys, one guy does knees, another guy does shoulders, another guy does wrists. Mm-hmm. So you either play left guard or right tackle or right defensive end, and I and I played uh, and I played left guard. Um, I was on the last team that Bobby Dodd coached at Georgia Tech, the 1966 team. Mm-hmm. And that team still um, incredibly gets together for dinner four to five times a year. Really? In uh, Atlanta. Uh, W.J. Blaine, who was an All-American linebacker at the time, has kind of spearheaded that mission. And and when I say, you know, they get together, I don't mean three or four guys. I mean 15, 16, 18 guys. Wow. And if there's a speaker, um, when Bill Curry was trying to get the AD um, um, job at Tech, he came and spoke, and I think we probably had 30 guys then. But these these fellows are all what, what you and I would call substantial people. Mm-hmm. They're all doctors and lawyers and Indian chiefs. Uh, that, that Georgia Tech 66 team grew up to be um, real uh, influencers and um, men of note. That's fantastic. Yeah, they're great guys. That's really fantastic. Now, in your time, um, kind of transitioning a bit to you know focusing on your leadership development, did you possibly learn anything from like your your coaches that might have influenced your wanting to develop you know leaders in their abilities, or did that come during your time at Waffle House? I'm not. You know, that's a great question. I've done a few of these, and nobody has ever asked me that question. Really? Yeah, it's probably the best question I've ever been asked. And the and the answer is my most confident answer. I don't know. <laughs> it's the only answer I'm ever fully confident in giving. Uh, I know uh, coaches, uh, my coaches were my early mentors. My dad was my mentor throughout, but my coaches were my early mentors. And they instilled in me more of the, the desire to excel and an appreciation for uh, the difference between the promise and the price. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have the promise if you're willing to, to pay the price. So from them, I got hard work and uh, the ability to provide some measure of good results. Um, when I was in high school, I had some leadership positions. Um, I mean, this isn't a bio, but I was, uh, uh, you know, president of the student body. And then when I got to to Georgia Tech, it was really just all about football and trying to get out of Georgia Tech. Right. Um, and the leadership side really did sort of come with the Waffle House business. Um, in the boxing world, when they ring the bell, somebody's got to stand up and fight for three minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found that was usually me in the Waffle House world when, when it turned into a, you know, hey, guys, let's go get them. Mm-hmm. And so I usually ended up, you know, uh, suggesting to people what needed to be done. And so, yeah, I, I, I guess uh, the Waffle House really did bring out the leadership side. And you, uh, re- uh, back in 2015, you wrote uh, a book, which I've been fortunate enough to read, uh, called Find an Old Gorilla. So what was the reasoning behind you writing the book? Yeah, um, 
I have, you know, I've mentored a lot of people throughout my life and career. I have three uh, very successful daughters, all Georgia Tech graduates. So they, you know, and they had a lot of friends. I mentored them. I mentored their friends. Um, I've always felt that anybody who's had any measure of success has a responsibility to provide good coattails mm-hmm. so that other people can grab on them. And, and, and I think it's important to, when you can find deserving people, uh, rising high achievers, emerging leaders, or people who just uh, want to do better, to be a, to I think it's important to provide them with any information, knowledge, or advice that you have in order to further them in that endeavor. And so that's what this book really was about. I, I found that um, I was providing a lot of advice. I was sitting down with a lot of people, uh, not only my daughter and their friends, but uh, lately, of course, Waffle House emerging leaders. Um, at Georgia Tech, the not only the students, but faculty and staff alike, um, I, I sat, came to me and I sat down with and, and we chatted about some ideas. Um, and I, uh, Derek, I, I realized one day that I was developing two files. Um, if you notice in the book, chapter five, the basic laws of success, uh, number one point is always take notes. And I followed my own advice. I was, I was taking notes about the questions these folks were asking and the answers that I was giving. And so that was one file that I had. It was a pretty thick file. And then the other file were articles that I'd read, um, things that I'd heard, just ideas and quips and quotes that resonated with me. Right. You read the book. I call them BFOs, Mm -hmm. blinding flashes of the obvious. So I sort of, when I realized that I couldn't sit down across the table from and and offer advice to all the people that I felt like I could, I might have some chance to 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 help and and make them more successful. And I had all this information. I merged it, and that basically is um, the book is an edited version of those two files. Mm-hmm. Title is Find an Old Gorilla. Crazy title. Um, but the premise is that if you wake up one morning and realize that you have to go through a jungle, it would make sense um, to find an old gorilla like you and me, somebody who's uh, beaten those paths before because uh, they the old gorillas know where all the good paths are mm-hmm. and, and also the quicksand which is another important thing to know so it's it's basically a leadership book um, it's an effort to get a message to emerging leaders about what to do next mm-hmm. well i i personally really enjoyed the book and you know the the analogy that you used or the parable about the the two young gorillas who are trying to go through the jungle and one finds an old gorilla and he not necessarily just tells him what to do, but kind of goes along the way and is there for help if needed. And then the other gorilla just is like, Oh, I can, I could do that. And he's not heard from for, for quite a while. Yeah, 10 feet tall and bulletproof. Yeah. Yeah. And the young gorilla is surprised throughout this path that the old gorilla 
never never breaks pace, uh, never gets lost, and never gets flustered, and they end up at the top of the mountain. And the young gorilla, uh, the, the one who didn't have time or the patience or the sense to listen to the old gorilla and took off on his own, he shows up years later uh, haggard, mm-hmm. um, scarred, uh, had almost lost his life in, in quicksand. Beaten by the jungle. Yeah, beaten down by the jungle and was, and was surprised to learn that, the, uh, that his buddy had been named uh, vice chief of, of the gorilla band. Before we continue this awesome conversation with Burt Thornton, I have to remind you that for you, the listeners of the Derek Diamond Experience podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download and free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. And they have a ton of books to choose from, from fiction, nonfiction, sci-fi, action, romance, fantasy, any genre you can think of, Audible has. And if you're always on the go like I am, it's a great service to have to be able to continue to read without having to sit down and read a physical copy. And get this, even if you don't like Audible, if you try it and you don't like it, you still get to keep your free book. You know, free's the greatest four-letter word ever invented, so to me, you can't go wrong with that. But to do that, just go to audibletrial.com slash nerdcave. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash nerdcave for your free audiobook download and 30-day free trial. A couple of things that, because I know you asked me about um, some of my takeaways from the book, um, the taking notes thing, because I'm I'll, I've always been a big list person, so I always you know take notes. Um, any meeting I go to, whether it's you know a meeting here or even if I'm talking with somebody about doing, you know, one of my Facebook Live podcasts, I always take notes. Always write everything down because if you probably one of the reasons you're so successful. Well, I I don't know if I would call myself extremely successful, but um, the basically, if you tell so, if you think to yourself, well, I, let oh, me let me let me correct you. I'm I'm sitting here in the not the press booth, but the production booth mm-hmm. at 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 Wahoo Stadium, looking out over an absolutely gorgeous field. I mean, mm-hmm. this is just so impressive with Pensacola Bay in the background. If you haven't, if you, anybody hadn't been here you, you absolutely have to come it's drop dead gorgeous and i've just been over in the production room which looks like star wars and this is what you control so call me when you think you've achieved success because <laughs> this looks pretty good to me okay well i do appreciate that uh, but no my my point about taking notes is that if you tell yourself oh i'll just remember it i don't need to write it down chances are you're going to forget it yeah so- i mean and, and that's the point that, that I make in the book. You Successful people write things down because they know that in the course of doing business on a daily basis, you've got 85 million things that are going on in your life and your business. So um, you just need to, you need to make notes, write things down, don't try and remember anything. And um, one of the things I do uh, when you get a little age on you is, is important. I, I leave... If I'm trying to remember to take something with me, I, I leave it in a place where I'm going to trip over it <laughs> before I get out the door. So you, you learn, if you want to be successful, you learn little tricks to keep yourself organized. And this is, this is one of the very essential ones. Mm-hmm. Another one is always having a great attitude because attitude is infectious. If, yeah, if, I, you, if you come to work with a bad attitude, 
chances are you're probably going to bring everybody else down. There, there are two really critical points on this, and I and I say in the book, and and when I talk to folks, I say your, your attitude is the single most important and the single most observed thing about you. Yeah, more than your fancy car, you know, more than your beautiful clothes, more than your amazing good looks. Your attitude is is what people notice, and I tell people when they uh, show up for work on the first day, when you go to a new job, um, sometimes people say, what should I do? And, and I always tell them, when you show up on the first day or the first week, you're not going to know anything. You're going to be in the way. The only thing you can bring to the party on that first day is a great attitude. Mm-hmm. And if you have a great attitude, you become a magnet for great experiences. If you have a bad attitude, you become a magnet for uh, bad experiences. Uh, I, I love the story of the, uh, of the farmer who's, who's working the field out there by the road and uh, a car drives up and, and the guy gets out and he says, uh, he says, Mr. Farmer, he says, I'm moving here uh, next week and I just wonder what kind of folks are here. And the farmer says, well, what kind of folks were uh, from where you, where you came from? And the old boy said, well, it's a vile lot. They're terrible. They'd steal every shirt off your back and just horrible people. And the farmer said, well, I, I regret to tell you that's the same kind of folks we got here. And the farmer went back to work, and about 25 minutes later, another car drove up. The guy gets out, and he comes over to the farmer, and he says, Mr. Farmer, he said, I'm, I'm going to be moving here in a couple of weeks, and I'm wondering what kind of people are around here. And the farmer said, well, what kind of people where you came from? He said, oh, they're just wonderful people. He said, give you the shirt off their back. They just do anything for you, just nicest people in the world. And the farmer said, well, I'm pleased to tell you that that's exactly the same kind of people we have around here. And the message is good attitude, magnet for good experiences. Bad attitude, magnet for bad experiences. Attitude is a magnet. Attitude is a magnet. I like that. Um, another one, uh, just a couple more, is uh, get up earlier than your friends or competition. <laughs> I Friends of mine joke around with me about this kind of stuff, but it, there's a reason why I do it. I always wake up early because, you know, I've, I've kind of made it a point to try and one of my biggest goals is to get in better shape. So I'll wake up and I'll either go for a run or go to the gym before work because it, it to me it's a good start to the day. You know, you feel productive and you're just kind of ready to, to get the day started better than if you just wake up and scramble to get ready for yeah, work. That, Derek, that puts you in the top 5% of your league. Mm-hmm. Um, it really does. I, I worked out before um, I came here this really? morning. And I, yeah, I'm 73, and I work out um, not every day, but most days. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not a workout you'd really be proud of, but it's a workout that keeps me, um, keeps me kind of tuned up. I just think, you know, it's – I feel like I can get more accomplished during the day if I start out on that on the right note rather than, like I said, just, you know. Yeah, if you're in the Waffle House business, uh, you got to get up early. Our first shift starts at 7 a.m. Mm-hmm. We go – we have three shifts, 7 to 2, 2 to, 2 to 9, and 9 to 7. And um, one of the requirements that we had, that I had, uh, was that all of the – management team in the Waffle House was in a restaurant at 6.30 a.m. Mm-hmm. because it was important to take a look at and talk to the third shift as they were leaving uh, 
uh, and then be ready to go to work, you know, uh, with the first shift at 7 a.m. Um, you know, getting up early is just a habit. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, so is sleeping late. Uh, it's just a, it's just a decision. And for 40 years, I didn't. Ha- I had an alarm clock. I never turned it on. I just probably like you. I woke up between quarter five and five fifteen every morning in the world for 40 years. Um, that requirement is not there now, uh, but I still get up about the same time. Uh, every morning it's it's not it's not 5 30 but it's you know but it's not 9 30 so mm-hmm. um yeah and the truth is all other things considered first one up wins it just gives you a chance even if you don't really have that much to do it gives you some good thinking time absolutely because there aren't that many other people up at 5 30 that's the morning. that's very true <laughs> The gym's usually pretty empty at five o'clock in the morning. And that kind of segues into the last one is, and I know it's one I think that everyone, most everyone I know can say they can improve on is learn to manage your time. Because if you, better time management to me is better productivity. Because if you have 50,000 things to do and you don't prioritize them, then you're just kind of not really getting anything done. Managing your time is more of a process than it's, let me tell you something, it is not an innate characteristic. You're not born with it. Mm -hmm. People literally do not come from the womb and have an ability to organize their time around any event. This this is something that you simply have to, it's a process. Mm -hmm. It's a trial and error process. And there, there are many uh, tricks of the trade uh, to keep yourself organized. What, what do you do when you are trying to organize yourself around an event? Because basically, that's, that's what leaders do. Um, well, say, for example, for a baseball game, we'll have our staff come in at 5 who come in and run all the equipment that you saw in the room next door. 5... 45, 550-ish, depending on you know how much we have to do for pregame is when our pregame show starts, where we start airing commercials, and we'll have the occasional interview down on the field with the sponsor. We'll do first pitches, national anthem, and then the game starts at you know 630. Right. Or a little earlier, depending on the day. Yeah, that's, that's a lot to organize. I mean, mm-hmm. that stuff doesn't happen naturally. Mm-hmm. It's got to happen, happen effectively, efficiently, and happen on time. So mm-hmm. there's, there's an organizational... Uh, process obviously that goes into that but I think the the what you just said uh you you didn't say it specifically but there's a mission there you know exactly what has to get done Mm -hmm. it's it's not a random process uh you have this pre-game mission and you organize everybody around the successful execution of that uh pre-game mission Mm -hmm. and Time organization is just that. In, in wh- whether you're organizing a family or a billion-dollar business, it's all about the first thing is deciding what you want to get done, and we call these goals. Mm-hmm. And goals, um, goals drive a successful effort. 
I say in my talks, without goals, you're a wandering generality, and goals turn you into a meaningful specific. I learned that from a guy named Jim Rohn, who was a great um, speaker. And and so that's what you do. The first thing you do is you, you, you figure out what you want to get done. you got to know where you want to go. And then once you know where you want to go, while you're organizing all these people, there are a thousand distractions. There, there, there is stuff going on everywhere. So you have to avoid those distractions and keep people, um, you know, driving toward the successful mm-hmm. execution. So that's really, uh, that's really what it's all about. When you're, when you're trying to get things done, mm-hmm. um, managing your time is critical because that's basically one of the only three things that you have you've got you've got your knowledge about what to do and you've got your passion for getting it done and then you've got your time organizational skills to keep yourself organized and keep everybody else to organize as you drive them along that effort does that make sense mm -hmm. no i totally agree Lists also help to like lists of things that need to get done and prioritizing it and everything is I'm very big on I've got a if I have a list of things that I have to do before our staff comes in, I have to write everything down. And then like say if I like I write our game day script that includes like all our sponsor commercials, graphics and everything that need to be played, you know, down to the minute of when they need to be played. So, you know, cross that off and then, oh, make Facebook graphic for SunTrust cross that off when it's done so seeing you know because if i'm just thinking okay well i got to do this 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 and this it all you know you can't think it you can't you can't think it because it just rolls around in your head like dry peas in a peas in a dry pod um no you you have to have a to-do list and you have to cross things off and uh, as you execute them there's another list that i used to use when i was um running the operational end of waffle house and that is something i called a hundred day list or a hundred day plan. Mm-hmm. Um, I would write down, this is a little different than goals. Goals, you write them down and you're really, you know, these are things that you, that you want to get done. Right. A hundred day list are things that absolutely will happen in the next hundred days. Absolutely will happen. Mm-hmm. You will move heaven and earth to get these things done. So it's not a huge list. My hundred day uh, plans, my hundred day list, max five items, usually three, mm-hmm. two, three, four. Um, but I would put today's date at the top of the page and then literally on the calendar, find the hundredth day and put that day at the bottom. And I would review it every Sunday to see if I was getting closer to or further away from those three things, because those were the three things that I had determined were critical to the success of the mission that we were involved in at that particular time. I like that. That's awesome. It works. No, definitely. Uh, Two more questions. Uh, When I introduced you, I introduced you as Vice Chairman Emeritus of Waffle House. And I asked you this before we started, what does the term Emeritus mean? And... I, I told you, if you look it up in the dictionary, I think emeritus means has been, but but, but it, it definitely doesn't mean has been. Yeah, uh, I don't. I've never looked it up. It's uh, something that's on the business card and in the annual report. But uh, you're, I see you're going 
go, go into in, the Google machine. Go into the Google machine now to see what it means. But it it means uh, that you did something uh, in the past, and apparently it worked out well enough so that you can uh, suggest to everybody that you were pretty good at it. I, I have no That's idea. actually exactly what it means. <laughs> you hit uh, the nail on the head. Yeah. Well, I I was uh, I was president and COO, chief operations officer for Waffle House, and we had a board, uh, which at at a certain point in our um, operation, the the chairman decided that the board really needed to be a very very convenient board of one and that was him because there were lots of things going on and he didn't have time to to call uh meetings and and he owned most of the company um at the time and still does but uh the end of the story is that um when i retired uh i was named vice chairman emeritus because at a little earlier in my career, I guess I was vice chairman, but never really thought about it. We never, in Waffle House, we never did and still do not hang our uh, okayness on on uh, titles. Mm-hmm. It just, we have, in Waffle House, it's a one-class society. Uh, the third shift waitress has an opportunity to buy the same insurance plan that the chairman of the board has. Um, and I've told you the story before of uh, the young lady, our first shift waitress and and waitress in Anderson, South Carolina, mm-hmm. uh, number four eighty. And when she retired after um, thirty years of service, serving bacon and eggs and coffee on the first shift, she cashed her stock in, and I uh, went up there and gave her a hug and gave her a check for close to a half a million dollars, and. Um, so, you know, we just, if I showed you a list of the Waffle House waitresses with over $100,000 in Waffle House stock, it would scare you. <laughs> but we don't, but they don't think about that, and right. neither do we. We're just trying to take care of uh, of, uh, of the good old cash-paying customer uh, who's coming through that front door. Right. That That's fantastic. Last and probably the question I've been looking forward to the most when it comes to doing this interview, what's your go-to meal at Waffle House? My go-to meal at Waffle House, and, and this is one that uh, you're going to think it's the chili. Mm-hmm. And uh, D.C. Reeves called me from a Waffle House. He and Quint Studer were out someplace, and he, he texted me from Waffle House and said that Quint was actually having his first bowl of Burt's chili. <laughs> and I had to laugh at that. But uh, chili is my wife's uh, favorite. She puts it on her, on her salad. But mine is a Texas cheesesteak with one piece of cheese, and instead of the second piece of cheese, I get grilled jalapenos with the grilled onions, and I make it a plate, which means it comes with hash browns, and I get them scattered, smothered, and peppered. And that means they're scattered well on the grill, smothered with onions, and they have jalapenos in them. And I get a pack of Thousand Island dressing mm-hmm. and that thousand island that's that's our recipe uh, it's really more like a a high-grade thousand island uh, deli reuben sauce and and i put that on the sandwich and then i also put it on the hash browns and that's that's my 
my go-to meal. Most Waffle House people put ranch dressing on, on their hash browns, mm -hmm. the, the Waffle House associates. Um, I guess I'm the odd duck because I, I, like, uh, I like Thousand Island. It is very good. I'll have to try the – because the, the Texas cheesesteak melt is my favorite sandwich from there. So oh, I'll have to it? try it with the jalapenos, yeah. Yeah. Uh, just get – you know, two pieces of cheese is just a little too much protein for me mm -hmm. with all the rest of that stuff. So I get one piece of cheese. You don't miss the second piece. And then if you don't use the cheese, they don't charge you 50 cents for the jalapenos. It's just a trade-off. Nice. And, uh, and the jalapenos just kind of changes the whole flavor profile, sets it apart. I'll definitely have to try that. Uh, do you have a website uh, that you like to plug to promote like your, your book and whatnot? I don't. I have a Facebook site. Okay. Um, and, but, uh, my um, my Facebook page is is Bert Thornton B E R T T H O R N T O N, and you can get to it. Um, you can get to the book uh, Facebook page uh, easily the same way. Um, the book is available everywhere in ebook form: uh, Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The best place, if you're really interested in purchasing the book, I think the soft cover version is the best version because people tell me that they start reading and then they put the book down and go find a pencil or a pen, come back and start making notes in the margin, circling stuff, underlining stuff. And then that book ends up, you know, in the top left-hand corner of a desk someplace so they can come back and refer to it. And that soft cover version is available through the publisher Lulu, like Little Lulu, mm -hmm. L U L U, Lulu.com. Uh, you can go to their website and either put my name, Bert Thornton, or find an old gorilla in the search bar, and it will take you uh, right there. Th this book is available on eBay. Don't go there, don't do it because um, people are charging 30 bucks a copy for it. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's like fifteen dollars at uh, at Lulu, but it's uh, I didn't write the book to make money. I wrote the book to help people, mm -hmm. and the overwhelming response uh, to this book is when people either write me or email me or just see me in person. They say this book arrived for me at just the right time in my life. Apparently there's something in there for everybody. And for that, I'm very grateful because that's the sole reason, uh, that I wrote the book and I appreciate your reading it. I hope it serves you well. Oh, absolutely. And thank you again. Uh, in closing, thank you so much for taking the time to do the interview. It was great. Oh, it's a real pleasure. And I'm looking forward to seeing you out here. I hope you'll show me around when, no, absolutely. I'll, I'll, I'll when give you we're the in the middle of the huge activity out here in, in one of the games. No, absolutely. My thanks again to Bert for taking the time to have that really fun conversation. It was great getting to hear his story. Be sure to check out his book, Find an Old Gorilla, which you can find on Amazon and many other platforms where books are sold. Also, be sure to follow this podcast on social media. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Podcast. Every week on Instagram, I post a one-minute preview of that week's episode. And Facebook, of course, is where you can watch all the Facebook Live podcasts that I've done throughout these last several months. If you want to check out past episodes of the show, you can go to iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all podcasting platforms, 
and just search for the Derek Diamond Experience. And if you leave a review, I would very much appreciate it. It helps me become more visible to the general podcasting public. So any type of review would be much appreciated. And on that note, that's going to do it for this week's show. So enjoy the rest of your week. Have a safe and fun weekend. Thank you for tuning in to another awesome episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. I am your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys back here next Thursday. Listening to a Nerd Cave Network production.